Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those 24 hours that makes all of the difference in our health, our happiness, and our success. Today's episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast is with Louise Green. Louise Green is awesome. I really enjoyed talking with her. She's the author of Big Fit Girl. And we talked about all sorts of things from triathlon to body image to fat activism and more. It was a great talk with her because I think it was one of the very few interviews that I did where I felt like completely awkward. And I don't mean awkward because of Louise. I mean awkward because this topic for me is so sticky and also near and dear to my heart. And, you know, talking about body image and weight and trying not to say the wrong things when knowing how I feel and how personal it is and how, gosh, just really deep stuff. But I think we had a great time and I hope you guys enjoy it. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. I'm so excited about my guest today. Louise Green is here. Hello, Louise. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Louise is the author of Big Fit Girl, and um, she and I, before we started recording, kind of were like, how have we never talked before? (laughs) Because we run (laughs) in some of the same circles, and I think a lot of our mission and heart and kind of how we came to this place of fitness is quite aligned. So I want to start by asking you, Louise, kind of some of your background and how you came to be, well, our role model as a big fit girl. Um, well, I basically was kind of on this perpetual cycle of chronic dieting for many, many years and kind of straddling a fitness, fitness lifestyle, but also straddling a very unhealthy lifestyle where I was drinking large amounts of wine at night, um, smoking cigarettes, and then in the morning trying to get up and go to the track and run. So I very much wanted to have the athletic lifestyle, but I I had this other lifestyle that was kind of impeding that. So after like 10 years of dieting and start-stop relationship with exercise and, you know, that other lifestyle, I finally came to a place where I was at rock bottom and, you know, desperately uh, full of despair and decided to take make a major change in my life and to put those habits aside and started uh, attending a 12-step program. Mm-hmm. And that's really when my athleticism really kicked up. It became like I could finally live this lifestyle that I had been dreaming of for so long without the other lifestyle trying to pulling me back all the time. Right. So what age were you when you started the 12 step program? Um, I was 29 years old. Okay. So you, you, you figured it out pretty early. Yeah, we were going pretty hard. So it was, <laughs> it was, I had always kind of hung out with those people in high school. And then in my twenties, it really fueled and it got to the place where I just, in I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um, Oh, that reminds me to turn mine off. (laughs) It's all good. Um, I, I just got to the place where that, uh, I just, I just wasn't going to be able to sustain it anymore. And it was robbing me of every goal and happiness I had in my life. Yeah. And when you say rock bottom was, I mean, you don't have to give details, but was it just like the point where, I mean, was it like a major tragedy or just you had it up to here and you knew that it was just a a turning point for you? Well, I think one of the sayings that I've heard in the rooms of uh, a 12-step program is I was emotionally, spiritually, and um, financially bankrupt. Like I, I, I was bankrupt in every single way to the point where I just was numb. I just had no feelings anymore. Mm-hmm. And I... I just was at a place where my despair was so low that I, I couldn't really, I couldn't sustain it anymore. So, you know, I think 
I think what happens, and I say this to some of my clients sometimes, is my fear for change was became less than the pain I was living in. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big thing is it's getting to the point where the pain of staying the same is worse than actually mm-hmm. making a change. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's how I felt. It was no particular and for those of you listening that are new to the podcast, I'm I'm a sober Sally coming up on two years and um pretty much the same deal. Like I would drink and try wake up and trying to train for Ironman and, and I did and I look back and don't know how I did that. But I um, have no idea. I don't I mean like <laughs> sober as I am now and healthy and I'm like, how did I do that? It was crazy. But yeah, I mean I got to the point just like you, my rock bottom was just this complete sense of numbness. And it yeah. was just like dead. So And totally living with you. that voice in your head that is like every single day, this is not who I'm meant to be. This is not what I want out of life. Like just that tape playing all the time really wears you down. Yeah. So what, when you realized you were at rock bottom and you made the change um, and you said, you know, fitness sort of took a front seat at that point, what were some of the steps that you took initially? Was there any blame and shame and were you flogging yourself at that point or was the turnaround so great that it was actually a positive sort of momentum? It was really quite immediate. Um, and I just happened to join a run clinic where I met the a coach that changed my life. So it was very serendipitous as well. Too. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah. Hey, we're like the same. <laughs> but, I didn't have like the same laugh. Have you noticed that? That's a little weird. Um, I just need to get some Iron Man's under my belt, and we're exactly the same. That's right. <laughs> They'll not know who's who when we walk in the room. Um, yeah. So I think because I was so incredibly ready for change that there was no fight on it anymore. I was just like, I don't think I started twelve my 12 step program and immediately jumped in. It probably was like a good six to eight months before I really started to want to get into tapping into that athleticism that I wanted so badly. But I, I joined this learn to run 5k clinic and I was terrified. I was going to be the biggest, I was going to be the slowest. They were going to leave me behind in the dust. And I walked in that night and our coach was a plus size woman. And I looked at, I just like, I couldn't reconcile it because I had never seen anyone in fitness leadership that had a bigger body. And that's major. She, she coached us from a pure stance of athleticism. It was like never about how many calories we were expending. It was never about bikini season coming. It was all about let's do this and let's do it exactly how we are right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And that um, position of coaching for me, I never had it because I'd always had um, trainers or coaches, you know, during those times where I was in and out of the gym where it was like, okay, these are the 1200 calories you're going to eat today. And I'd be starving and I I couldn't do it. So I was always feeling like this failure. Yeah. And that's interesting because I think part of my fitness turnaround sort of came from my original spinning instructor, my coach who he just, he, he's not a plus size woman, but he, he never treated me like I was one. You know what I mean? It was never, like you said, they put you on a diet and they want you to have so many calories. He just treated me like all his other athletes. And that was new. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's it's new. Like to, to not look at you, to not be judged at face value and be like, Oh, let's tone it down for this one. Um, to, (laughs) to be treated like everyone else and just to be given the same hard workouts. And, you know, like when you're, when you're training for the, especially the things that you were training for, you know, plans of calorie restriction are not appropriate. Right. And that's hard because a lot of us come to, and, and I did too, and I still, to, and we can talk about this in a little bit, but yeah, because you're like, okay, well, I'll be faster and better at this if I'm lighter, but you, you can't really diet. You, you can't do that. You have to come to the sport with the, this is what I am right now, and this is what I have to work with, and I'm going to go. And that's it. That's the only frame mm-hmm. of mind that I think works. Yeah. It's really tough. So let's talk about your book a little bit. Big Fit Girl. Okay. 
Oh, you want me to keep going? <laughs> You're like, what no, sorry. It? It's right. <laughs> sorry, you cut out there for a minute. I was like, I didn't hear the last part. Oh, no, no. I was just like, yeah, you go now. Okay. So, okay, um, big, big girl, you wrote this book. And basically, from what I read, is it's kind of basically saying the, the fitness industry just completely and utterly fails to meet any sort of needs of anyone who's over a size, what, eight, ten? Like there's no, there's just a failure on the fitness industry. You know, like you said, when you walk into a gym, you're, you're looked at and told to shrink versus what you can do. I think that there's a real gap in, um, I, I think that the fitness industry is failing to recognize that there's not one fit for everybody. And so we have a population of people that are not able to sustain what the fitness industry in general, and I'm talking in very general terms, is providing. So, and when you look at the statistics, especially in the United States, it's a majority population. Uh So the majority of like 67% of women in the United States are over a size 14, but yet we never see them represented in any fitness advertising or fitness media or culture. I mean, that is slowly changing, but the first thing that we're doing wrong is we're not representing these women. So I, I believe that advertising is an unspoken invitation So when we're not even able to see ourselves or we're always put in as the before picture, that's, you know, the one that you don't want to be. Right. um, Then it it, it immediately before the woman even steps into the gym is already inviting, uninviting. So that's the first thing. The fitness industry in of itself is creating its own barriers. Right. So what have you seen I mean, you have amazing, you've made amazing progress in, and I never know the right terms, but are we body acceptance or the body positive movement? I never know which one is the right one, but I know what you're doing is good work. And what is some of the things that you have seen that you've put out there that have directly made a difference in some of the women that you coach or that are in some of your groups? Um, I think that it really simply just comes down to them feeling like they're being spoken to and represented so that, you know, I think because, and I mean, I went through this too, and I'm sure you have too, but just when you're chronically dieting and failing at it, you're living in a model of failure. So when you present to this mass demographic, Hey, why don't you ditch that? Because we know when we train hard, you're probably going to lose weight, right? Like it just it's going to happen. So it's often a byproduct. But if we just ditch the diet culture mentality and focus on athleticism, then the results, if you don't lose weight, that's cool, but you're going to be healthier. You're going to be happier. You're going to be more confident. There's going to be many, many health benefits to doing that. Right. So I know like a lot of your sites and um, groups are are diet-free zones. Like you just said, that getting people to work out and work on health is, is kind of the first step. What do you, how do you reconcile, you know, I know diet is a terrible term and it's a terrible idea, but how do you reconcile working out and training and, and not kind of venturing into the food talk? Well, there's some, there's some groups that I host where as soon as food becomes a topic of conversation, it becomes a war. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to take a really close look at, and that's not, that's not, I'm not saying like we can't talk about food here because I don't want to talk about it. I'm saying it because it becomes a war zone yeah. and then the vibe of the group becomes totally like dismantled. So in my book, I have a whole chapter on food and my position on, you know, healthy nutrition. And I wish that we could talk about it openly, but, but there's so many women still caught in diet cycling that the ones that aren't, it just becomes this war zone. And I was talking to my husband after we had to put that rule in place, we can't even talk about food, um, about why this topic is so loaded Right. It's just so loaded. 
with, with, I don't know if it's all women, but with the women that I work with, it's a very loaded topic to the point where unless we want to see regular confrontations and scraps going on, we can't even talk about it. I know (sighs) I've experienced that too. And it, it is alarming, but I know when I see, and I know where it comes from because I have certain viewpoints. And then when I see something that in my mind is completely wrong, like bad advice, because I've been through all the diets, you know, I feel like I'm trying to protect the people listening. (laughs) And I think that's part of it is we all have, especially us that have been in the diet cycle. I mean, we, it is very emotional. And, and with mention of, you know, X type of eating, you, it takes you back to 1994 Yeah, <laughs> when your boyfriend dumped you and you were on X diet. I don't know. I don't know what's tied to it, but, um, you know, is it basically when you work with clients, I mean, are you t- touching on nutrition at all? Is it just like whole foods do what works for you? I mean, how that part of the, the big girl culture to me, I feel like we don't talk about that because it's the elephant in the room because it is so emotionally charged. But what do you tell your clients? Well, I don't, um, I don't prescribe any kind of nutrition plan just because I simply don't have that. Like it's out of my scope of practice, but Mm -hmm. in the book that what I wrote is we know that when we're eating a lot of sugar, our energy levels are going to be lower because of that spiking that goes on in our blood system. Um, So I talk a lot about what's the best nutrition for energy and athletic performance. And do I follow that to the T every single day of my life? No, but that ultimately is when I'm training for something is what I want to do for myself is, um, you know, eating as healthfully and, um, nutritionally dense food as possible to make sure that that, race or whatever it is you're training for is going to come, going to result with the optimal results that you're looking for. Right. So I don't prescribe like, okay, here's a meal plan. But, um, in the book we talk about, you know, the other thing too, that I'm dealing with, with myself and and clients that I work with is I recently had somebody ask me, well, are you like working with macros and that kind of stuff? And I'm like, right now I need to back the truck up way up because we're talking about just improving a relationship with food. Uh We're not in the macro zone yet. Like we are just talking about how not to binge eat. Right. Right. And that's such a major step. I mean, if you can, and, and that's what, like, I've had so many athletes that I work with you know, I'll work with them a couple years and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not losing weight. I'm not this and that. And I'm like, look, you trained for a race, you finished it and you didn't like immediately binge. I'm like, do you know like what amazing progress that is? And we have to like step back sometimes and look at the starting point and then realize that where we are is often just miles and miles away from where we started and have to just sit there and go, Hey, this is great. This is huge progress. I mean, I think with big girls, our metric is different, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a different metric. Yeah. And I just can't survive living hungry. I just like, <laughs> I don't know how people do that. Like the, the restriction and just, and being hungry all the time. Like I've tried it and I like, I literally feel like I'm going insane. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's a model of athleticism anyway. I think that uh, athletes should fuel in abundance with healthy nutrition food food and fuel for their bodies. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing currently and kind of what's coming up for you in the next, I don't know, year or so. Um, in like business wise. Yeah. Yeah. With, with your work. So we, um, are in the process of developing an app called big fit girl. And so basically it's of the same ethos of the groups that I run where it's weight neutral and women can come and join, uh, they can sign up and basically what it, it, it will be is that there'll be different challenges that they can join. And so it's about bringing together, together these women on a global level. And so 
there might be a bike to work um, challenge that they can join. And then within that, those challenges, they can, there's a chat room that they can chat with those people and they can upload pictures and things like that. So that is in the design process right now. I really am not a hundred percent sure when that'll be ready. It's very new territory for me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, but we did have a, we had a digital school here in Vancouver design, design it. So it, it looks great. Uh, we're just waiting on the added features and programming behind it. And then on Monday, I'm starting a pilot project for six weeks for a new digital program that I'm launching called Big Fit Girl Unleashed, which is going, it's going to have 10 different workout programs in it and basically starts to coach women to change their mindset from that diet culture to um, a model of athleticism and basically addresses all the things that I've come up against in the 10 years that I've been training this demographic. So it's a real comprehensive online program that has both physical and educational components to it. And so we're running our first 20 women through it for a pilot on Monday and then in October doing the big launch. Very cool. So let's talk a little bit about body positive and kind of where you fall on that spectrum. I mean, I did a little Googling on what the definition of it is. I found a nonprofit and and kind of went with with what they say. And, And they said basically being body positive is hoping for a world where people are liberated from self hatred value their beauty and identity and use their energy and intellect to make positive changes in their own lives and communities. So where do you fall in this? I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little, I find it a bit sad when I read things like, I I read something this morning on, on Instagram where it's, it's, it was a meme that said, uh, um, if you're on a weight loss journey, don't call yourself body positive, call yourself diet culture. And I just, I have a difficult time with that because I mean, for one, you know, that I'm not into the diet culture, but I still believe that every woman has the right to do what they want with their body. If they want to lose weight, if that's a goal, then that's their business. It's their body. Um, I don't necessarily that mean I don't necessarily think that that means that somebody's not body positive. But um, obviously, the way in which people go about reducing their body size, I would hope, would be done in a positive, loving, safe manner. Right. And I think that's part of the challenge that I've recently run into is you know just sort of along those same lines. I mean, weight loss is often a goal of mine, but it's not coming from a place of hatred and it's not coming from a place of, of self self loathing or pressure from society. It's something that's, you know, I feel better. I feel better Mm -hmm. when I'm in a certain, you know, body. Um, and I've been a part of the yo-yo culture for a long time and I, you know, there's not a way of eating I do now where I'm hungry. I'm like you, I can't stand it. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I find it really tough when anyone that's followed my story for any period of time knows that it's been a struggle and that it's been something I've, I've wanted, but I've continued to work on my athleticism from day one at the size I was. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's, that's body positive. Yeah. And I think that I think when your weight is getting to a point where it's stopping you from living all aspects of your life, uh, you know, it's preventing you from doing the things that you want. For example, if you're losing mobility or you're just too, you're feeling so uncomfortable and out of place in your body that you're not going to go to the gym or you're not going to, you know, do whatever in life, then it's time to look at that. Like, I'm not saying under all in any circumstances, love your body and just be who you are. If it's getting in the way of who you are and living your life to your highest potential, then it's something that you might need to look at. And why do you think that there's so much hatred in within the body positive movement toward people that want to quote unquote improve? And I don't mean improve by society standards, but by their individual standards. Why is it why can't all the women just accept all the women who want to be who they want to be? <laughs> what is what well, is with that? Well, I mean, 
I think that there's something going on for women, even when they're young girls. I see it on the playground at my son's school, and I don't. I think it's the way that we're wired. But I think when we grow up into adults, I think people feel a threatened. Well, if you're, if you don't think that you looked good or felt good or performed well in the body that you had when you started Iron Man, what does that say about me? And I think like. I don't, I'm just using that as an example. Mm -hmm. I don't, it doesn't say anything about me to me, but I think some women are threatened by other women's choices to change because if they need, if they feel they need to change, then what does it say about them? Yeah. Women are very, um, comparing and, um, you know, I think it takes a really solid woman to just be like, Hey, that's awesome for you. I'm super happy that you're doing all the things in your life that make you feel good and make you be the best person that you are today. Yeah. It's really tough. I mean, I know I have people that'll write me every once in a while that are new to to everything I'm doing. And they'll say, well, you don't understand. I'm 204 pounds. And I'm like, oh, goodness, here we go. Okay, so I did all my Ironmans over 200 pounds. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, you know, and it depends. I mean, I'm built like a Mack truck. So, you know, my 200 may not be someone who's 5'2 and 200. I get that. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, of comments like, well, how tall is Meredith? Is she 6'4? And, I mean, I, I am kind of stocky. I'm, like, just thick. But, you know, I think that focus on, on weight is – is one of the the problems for sure because you know every almost every woman I meet in triathlon is weighs less than me whether or not they look like it or not and it's mm-hmm. so weird to just base everything off this number and so anytime I put my weight out there I do it for the to, for the point of showing like you know I do this in this weight. You can do it weighing more than me. You can do it weighing less, whatever. I try to show that it's irrelevant, but some of, some of the times it bites me in the butt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's always confusing to me. I'm like, no, I'm trying to say like anyone, you know, who's a 200 pound woman can go do this. That means if I, if I'm middle of the pack and I'm 200, then you can be 300 pounds and back of the pack. See how that works? <laughs> like, yeah. it's like everyone can do it, whatever. But it's, I find that this is, and I can talk to anyone freely on these podcasts, but I find talking to you about this is so sticky. And I don't know why, because I feel like I'm in the middle of it. And I don't know if it's because I have emotions attached to it. And um, But it's very interesting. I feel like I have to choose my words carefully because I would never want to stand in the way of someone dabbing into fitness or, or trying to be athletic or, or starting their journey. You know, it's do you ever feel that way that you're like, oh gosh, am I going to say the right thing here? Are you so firm in where you stand and all this? I'm so firm and have, um, I've done so many interviews now that I'm just like, this is what I think and feel. And I actually used to care very much how it sounded and, you know, did it, I, I was very careful about, I, I am still very careful around fat activism there yes. there's there's some um well, there's you brought some, it up I didn't it was on my list <laughs> yeah so so that there are people and I mean I believe in any movement there are the radical people and then there are the people that are trying to push a movement and there's a spectrum of people in between so the the very radical people um are are well let's just say they're radical right <laughs> And so I just look at it as, um, you know, somebody that's in the same, has kind of the same ideas, but in the, you know, they're in a different spectrum and they're probably as needed as people that have a lower spectrum of belief system because you need those people pushing a movement, but it can be very black and white. And, um, you know, it comes back to, it comes back to elevating women to support their choices no matter what. So I'm never going to say to a woman, you're wrong in what you're saying and doing. Um, I might say from my experience, this is what happened to me and it didn't work. And, you know, some of those things can be really damaging. But like we said earlier, 
if, if somebody's goal is to lose weight or, um, and, and I get it when you're saying like, there are many times I'm cycling or running and I'm like, wish I was lighter. Yeah. This would have been, this like been better. Physics. It's yeah. physics. It's like when I climb a hill, I'm like, damn, I wish I was 20 pounds less. And that has nothing to do with body hatred. That means this hill is hard and I wish I had 20 less pounds to carry up it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I get that. Just, yeah. Um, so back to the, the fat activism, um, I, I find I'm so confused by that. Um, I'm so confused by so many parts of it. I, I learned about it this week, I guess, in a full force. I knew it kind of was out there, but, um, I think it's really interesting coming, you know, I'm, I'm technically not, no longer plus size, but I'm still a big girl and I still have trouble finding clothes to fit me in the normal department stores half the time. But, um, I find the whole fat activism thing that I got attacked for just bizarre to me because I've been on both sides of it. I, I my highest weight was probably 285. I was pregnant, but my baby only weighed eight pounds. So I just always say, well, so, <laughs> you know, um, so I've, I've been very heavy. And then after that, I, I hovered around 250 for a long time, but, um, you know, I always think it's really weird when I get a, attacked for not just staying at 280. Like, whose business is that? And and I feel like it, it's it's a personal choice to be wherever you want to be on whatever weight spectrum. Like, that's personal. But what's mm-hmm. what I feel is not someone's business is making others feel bad for their choices. And that's from what I've seen with the fat activism that seems to be, be where it is. It's all about shaming people for their choice to, to be different, to maybe not be as fat or as big or whatever the term is. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I agree. There is definitely some people out there. I saw your post on Instagram in response to you being attacked and I'm not sure exactly what the attack was. Um, I was called but- a fat shamer. Okay. <laughs> I was called called a fat shamer, um, even though I I'm never like never in a million years. But because of that that photo, which showed me in 2014, and then where I am now, and I was accused of being a fat shamer when really I was like, hey, this uh, shows a lot of time, (laughs) shows a lot of work, Um, you know, and and so that's where it all kind of came from because it's ludicrous to call, call me a fat shamer. If, you know, anyone that spent six seconds with me knows that's not true. And so that's where it kind of came from. And I, I had never in my life been shamed for being skinny and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, I don't even know what just happened here. Cause one, I'm, I'm not skinny. And so to be skinny shamed when I'm in the body, I am, was I didn't even know what to do with it. I was like down some crazy rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Like I'm still, you know, 198 pounds and I'm being skinny shamed. What What is happening here? And it was so confusing to me that, that that's kind of where that, that post and reaction came from. But the more I dug into it after it happened, I realized that there's this whole subculture of, of large women called fat activists who are marching around and telling people like me who are, you know, and trying to better themselves in, in a personal way in the way that I see fits me and that the way that fits a lot of people in the triathlon community and, and getting beat up for it. It was just bizarre. And that's what I was, yeah. so, it was so funny when I realized we had our interview today, I was like, Oh, this is timely. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the people that want to like attack, I, I wouldn't give them any weight. Like it's, that, that's the other thing too, is, um, you know, exactly what you've said here today is you have always put yourself out there in any body size and you have never shamed or hated your body. It was, you know, these are personal choices for, basically it sounds like feeling better and athletic performance and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that so if anyone has a problem with that they're just not your people yeah and and that's what I've realized but you know like when I started in all true disclosure and 
um, when I started the sport and, and I kind of dabbled into fitness, I, I would say there was a lot of self-hate there, you know? Yeah. And so there was self-hate around my weight, but there was also self-hate around me as a person. I didn't like yeah. myself at all. And, and I think weight was just another checkbox. But I think had I cleaned up, you know, like you, cleaning up the alcohol, cleaning up a lot of other areas of my life, the weight moved further and further down on the importance list and fitness moved up and triathlon and finishing. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that was the kind of the path for me. Did, does that sound familiar at all? Yeah. I mean, I haven't lost any weight since I got sober 17 years ago. I, uh, you know, like I'm still in the same body. Um, but, but, and I've, and I've said that to people, I've had a completely life changing transformation in who I am as a person and who I am. I went from like such deep levels of despair to like, you know, I, I feel like I'm rocking my life right now and I'm still the same weight. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've lost very little weight, and that's the other thing too. Is I think from that photo in 2014 to the one on you know that I posted, that's it was only like 19 pounds, which on a, a thin person is a lot of weight, but mm-hmm. on on a girl my size is not that much weight. Yeah, and, and so I always try and point to that too. That you know being active and having you know, goals and and doing these races, you can have like total body composition, mental health changes that have nothing to do with the scale. Absolutely. I mean, when I'm in like a half marathon training, my body, people will say, Oh my God, you've lost weight. I'm like, not a pound as usual. (laughs) Not a pound. Does that happen though? It's bizarre. I'm convinced my body just doesn't lose weight. Yeah. So it totally will change shape. Mm-hmm. But it just always weighs the same. Mine loves to stay right around where it is. And I've been up and down and around this for, you know, two decades now. And then when I was in my teens, it was 180. Um, but then I bounced around that. But that's it. You're right. It's, I don't – people say that to me too. You lost weight. Like, no, I don't know where it, – it, it's there. It's still in here somewhere. The weight is still here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why yeah. I feel such garbage. It's just it's such a bad metric. And that's why I had to completely move, remove that from my, from my own personal, like if I stood on the scale today, it'd probably ruin my day. So I just, I just don't bother. It's like, no, I'm having a great day. I'm talking to you. Um, you know, I've got lots of great things planned today. I'm going to go for a run tonight. I do not need to know. Do you know what I mean? Like I just, I'm living my life. Yeah. I don't, I don't get on the scale unless I'm in a place where I don't care what it says. Yeah. And I have to ask myself that question. Like, do I care what this number is today? Because if I care, I'm not going to check it. Yeah. No, I, I fully don't know I... why I still look, but I don't know. It's maybe that's the self-hatred coming. Maybe that's the fat activism coming out. I hate myself really, truly. I still weigh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Help me. No, I mean, I think it's a helpful thing to know once in a while, but like I was literally on it three or four times a day. Yeah. I do feel like, it, and that's what I've told people I work with is like, look, if you can check the scale and you realize it's just a number and you can use it as a helpful thing and good for not, you know, use it for good, not evil, then use it. And one of the things I've learned from it is it, it helped me kind of dial in some foods that did not agree with me. And the way I would figure it out is I would eat something for dinner. I would avoid that morning and then eat really healthy all day, eat something for dinner that I thought might not be a food that I tolerate well, like an inflammatory food and then weigh in the morning. And it would tell me if my body liked that food or not, mm-hmm. because I would be up six or seven pounds. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, so for, for me, that's dairy. <laughs> like if I enjoy like yeah. a lot of dairy, I'll, it's my body reacts crazily. And so I always tell people, look, if you can use the scale for actual data and information that's helpful to you and you don't like get out your whip and start beating yourself for the result, then, but it takes a strong person to do that. I think. Yeah. It's also like, I think that we've just been conditioned so deeply to strive for thinness that it can become a bit of a slave drive. So that's what was happening for me. It was becoming this very unhealthy 
well, I'm going to weigh before I shower and then after I shower, and then I'm going to like go for a run and weigh myself. Like it was becoming obsessive. Yeah. And it never really told you anything. No, I was still like, you know, (laughs) doing all the things I wanted to do and achieving what I wanted to achieve. Um, so it really kind of was something that was having this negative cast on my life when it didn't need to be. How much do you think that the the fat activism culture kind of is tying into a thread of hopelessness and feeding on telling people there's no hope? And that's the thing that has bothered me the most about it. I don't care who is happy in their body, like more power to you. I, I mean, truly, everyone should come to a place of self-acceptance. But what I don't like about it is the whole idea that you should just be where you are and not want it like it's almost a, a kind of a I don't know it just feels like a dark box where you just need to get put into it and stay there and and be happy or be happy as and there's no hope to be any different or change anything that you might want to change <clears throat> I think with certain individuals they've lived like I often find that a lot of the people that are at activism stage have lived a life of always being heavy. Um, so that wasn't the case for me. This is something that happened kind of when I was 23. So I wasn't a fat child and I wasn't a fat teen. Um, but I think for a lot of people, they've lived a life where they've been told for many years that they need to change Mm-hmm. through their doctors and their families. And, you know, they've been told that society has told them over and over again, one too many times that they're not good enough. Yeah. And so I even get that from a, cause I, I, I am a big woman, but I even get it from people saying you have no right to tell people that they have to exercise. Right. And so it, it goes to the point where don't tell me to lose weight. Don't tell me that I have to exercise. I'm I never say that exercise, there's a high moral ground to exercising. I'm exactly like you. I do it because without it, I'm probably not going to stay sober. I am probably not going to be in good mental health. And my body's probably not going to be as healthy as it is. So for me, it's about survival. I need it. Yeah. Um, But I'm not telling people that are fat you have to exercise. And if you don't, then you're not worthy. Um, but I think people get their back up because they've been told so many times over and over either directly or indirectly by society that they need to exercise and they need to lose weight. So yeah. if there's even any remote into that, you're going to get it. That makes sense. And I, I mean, I was a fat kid and I was put on a diet early and I, you know, I thought I was a fat teenager looking back. I totally wasn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I get that. And that's a really excellent point you bring up that I hadn't really thought about that. Maybe it's, it's coming to the point where you're like enough, no one's going to tell me who to be or what to do anymore. And so, I mean, I can respect that, that aspect of it for sure. Um, when you were talking about, you, you still have people saying, you know, who are you to train people and to tell them to exercise? I mean, I still get that. I mean, I'm a, USAT certified coach and Ironman certified blah, blah, blah certifications. But I mean, four time Ironman and people still say you have no right to tell anyone how to do triathlon. And I'm like, really? Cause I think I do. It's just, they don't, it makes people uncomfortable. Like even at, at my size, at your size, we make people on the thin side of things uncomfortable. And it's, it's just such a mess. Like the whole like weight body image culture is a mess. So do people tell you that because of your body size that you don't yeah. have? Yeah, no, I've had that too. I'm, you know, I'm quote unquote a slow runner. Um, you know, I have a, I have a 27 minute 5k and while that's not fast, that's totally freaking respectable. I don't care who you are. Um, you know, I, it doesn't translate to a half marathon so much as, you know, or an Ironman marathon because I am hauling around weight. And that's where I find that the conversation around weight is so sticky because people want to criticize me constantly for my speed, but I'm like, I'm 198 pounds. You know, I'm out there doing the best I can. Well, like I have contacted you for coaching, right? Like I I personally would 
prefer you as my coach over any other coach, because you know, you know, my struggle. And I want to, I want to coach with somebody that I'm like, okay, well, you know, sure. We don't weigh exactly the same, but I, you're an icon to me of, oh, this actually can be done. Right. Whereas that's my market. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing too, is I'd love to talk about if we have time, we have plenty of time is, um, the whole sport of triathlon. Like I hear from people all over the place that it's such a welcoming community and yay. (laughs) And I've not, that's not been my experience. That's interesting. That's also not been my experience. Um, that's kind of why I create, that's kind of why I exist at this point in the sport of triathlon, because, um, I had a handful of people that were kind to me in the beginning, but my first half Ironman experience was traumatic. I don't know many people more stubborn or determined to not give a shit about it than me, because I don't know many people that would have returned to that, to racing after the experience I had in, in 2011 at half Ironman Miami. Um, it was, it was awful. It was awful. I don't know if I just picked like too beautiful of a city, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I was totally talk about fat shaming, man. I was fat shamed up and down that course. Were you really all day long? Yeah. And and you got to realize six years ago, triathlon, you definitely see a lot more shape and size now. Um, in 2011, I, I was like the fat girl in all of triathlon and someone may say, Oh, well, there were others. I mean, Jane Williams had wrote her book, slow fat triathlete, which Mm -hmm. was out there before, but it was enough of a novelty where I, I wasn't welcomed with open arms. No one spoke to me. No one really, I mean, my coach, Jerry Halfen, he treated me like anyone else, but I went to a gym with tons of elite and age group triathletes. He never gave me a second glance or time of day. Um, so yeah, I, <laughs> it became a welcoming sport for me when I put myself out there and said, yeah, I'm kind of chunky over here and slow and alone. Who, who else is out there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no one really chunky and alone came to me, but then people were like, Oh, this girl is telling it like it is. And, and that's when I sort of felt like, okay, this is a community. And then, and then people came, you know, beginners who, who wanted to get into the sport. And like with, with my community, I think it is welcoming. Um, but I, I haven't really found that super welcoming spirit that, that you mentioned too. But, um, I, I do know that there's a lot of local tri clubs, um, in the South that I hear that from that are very welcoming. And, and so, you know, I, I hope that's true. Yeah. Because but, even, um, where I live in Vancouver, like it's a super active city, and like, I couldn't go to a triathlon club because I don't have the pace. I, they wouldn't accommodate it. Yeah. Right. So, so, um, our master's program here, right. So I've just signed up for a pre-master's program because my, the master's program, um, the coach is like, you know, when you can swim three kilometers without stopping, you're welcome. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, you're not welcome. So when I see articles about triathlon declining in numbers, it's like, well, yeah, it is because if we can't get new people to come because a, it's not welcoming and B it's highly expensive. Um, then, then I don't see those numbers increasing. Yeah. I think there's definitely a shift and I don't know if maybe it's in your area, I haven't, I haven't heard something like that in the States in quite a while. I mean, I do know that most master's programs I've heard of have, you know, a lane or two for the, for the slow pokes, the beginners that are dabbling and, and, you know, there's, there's been a lot of work with like women for drive, for example, trying to give grants to, you know, female triathlon clubs to try and bring up the numbers and have more of an inclusive spirit. But um, yeah, that's kind of major. Like you can't swim here until, but so what's your other option? Private swim lessons? Well, I've taken private swim lessons and then I've taken like a adult intermediate swim just to get my strokes down. And then I've taken open water clinics, um, that I had a difficult time keeping up with the group. And then, um, so now they've introduced this pre-masters cause I think that they've heard that 
they're not making it approachable. It's not accessible. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'll see how that pre-masters go and see how that how pans out. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I know a lot of, of local triathlon clubs do different pace rides, um, you know, where there's a no drop ride, meaning whatever pace you are, we're not going to leave you. We'll see you at the stop sign. Um, and then there's the, the middle pace group, which is usually like 16 to 19 miles an hour. And then the ones that are super speedy, um, I've seen a lot of those. And so I feel like that's a step in the right direction toward inclusion, but you know, I'm not a member of a local tri club. Um, and it's not to speak bad of any of them locally. It's just, I've always been self-conscious around it and I, I still am. And at this point I should be someone who stands in my own right in this sport, but I still am slower than the vast majority of the field out there. And it's very intimidating. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I started, I was on my own. And so I, I guess I just want to encourage athletes out there who are starting out, um, you know, even if you can't find your community right away, it's worth continuing to press on by yourself because, you know, I've done that most of, most of my seven years in the sport and it's okay. You know, <laughs> you'll survive. It's, it's kind of a bummer at sometimes, but, um, you know, I, I wanted it bad enough, I guess is, is the summary. And when, when you know, you have a goal and you want something badly, you'll do whatever it takes to, to make it happen. Totally. And, you know, maybe triathlon's not for everyone and you do have to grow a backbone. I mean, I'll tell you because <laughs> it's, it's, it can be a humiliating sport just on its own. I mean, the wetsuit, the, the clipless yeah. pedals, the porta potties, it's like, it's just fodder for, for hilarity half the time. So <laughs> I, I just think you have to come at it with a sense of humor, you know, certainly don't let people bring you down, but recognize that there's going to be those assholes out there. They're just going to be there. And they're going to think you don't belong, but that you, you got to find your tribe. You got to find your community. And I think that's been, you know, the swim bike mom community and the, the tri club. That's, that's our community. You know, we're your people. Yeah. <laughs> we take yeah. you all, all sizes, shapes and speeds. Like, you know, cause it doesn't matter. This is about becoming better people. Right. I mean, we're all just trying to be better people. I think that, um, that what you're doing is really important because I think that people, you know, I, I see in my groups, a lot of people that are like, I'd really like to try triathlon, but they're very, um, you know, they're very apprehensive about it. And just by you providing that space where people can go and be who they are and try it out. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm just proud to have the opportunity to do it. And same with the, you know, the tri clothing, which by the way, thanks for the shout out you gave me in that triathlete article, but, you know, providing clothing that, that can hopefully fit most of the people out there wanting to do triathlon. Cause that's a big barrier, man. I mean, Huge, yeah. gosh, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that anyone that wants to do a triathlon can totally do it. And I think that's the, <laughs> that's the moral of the story. It just, it takes some work and, um, but yeah. So, well, the, the title of this podcast, Louise is the same 24 hours. And that means we all have the same 24 hours in our day, but what we do with it, with those 24 hours is what makes us happy and healthy and successful and perhaps the best versions of ourselves. So what is something that you do in your 24 hours every day that really helps you be the best version of you? Well, I, there's two things and this kind of, you know, comes back from the model of a 12 step program. And, you know, a lot of what I do, I kind of learned from those 12 step programs is giving back to other people is a huge part of my day that makes me feel extremely good about what I'm doing and helping another person start a journey or, you know, achieve a goal when they thought that they couldn't do it. Yeah. And then, and then doing the same for myself, which I have to say this year with producing a book was less than it ever has been in any other year. And I suffered because of it. So that's why 
you know, I've had to really let some things go in my business and, and focus on practicing what I preach. Cause it's, it's huge that I, that I, you know, I have to do that for myself. It's getting out there tonight for a run, uh, in the woods, we're going to go do a trail run. It's kind of like my church, <laughs> just, uh, you know, doing, giving back to others and giving to myself. That's such a good point. I mean, I, I feel that some days when I wake up and I think, oh my gosh, I have too much to do that I need to take care of where I'll blow off a workout and just realize after a certain period of time of doing that, that I am not practicing what I'm preaching. And, you know, mm-hmm. as far as racing goes, you know, I haven't been racing much this season. And a lot of people are like, well, she doesn't even race anymore. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, there's a reason it's, it's because I've been busy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, well, and, and like, you're, you're looking after yourself in other ways, right? Like yeah. with, what's with all the naysayers? <laughs> funny like that's what I'm always cracking up about I'm like what is why do people even waste their time with me like click on like go go talk about the Kardashians or something like what am I what is so fascinating about hating on me I don't get it <laughs> just stupid well, that's who funny. cares I had this uh, conversation with um, this coach that I work with for business and about me making the decision to no longer physically train people that I was going to take my business online. And I, you know, I said to my, to her that, 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 there, that there's this identity that I have as a trainer. So when I'm not training people, I'm no longer a trainer. Mm. And she said that that's not true. You have like, over 3000 hours under your belt of standing in front of people, counting their reps, coaching them along the way. You're always going to be that trainer. So even though you may not be racing, you're still a coach, right? Like yeah. you've, you've done the time, you've done the courses, you've got the knowledge. It's, it's like, I don't have to actively be constantly doing that modality. You coaching people in other ways. Right. Right. And it's funny because, you know, you set, I guess you set a certain level of expectation for the public, right? Because you're you're a trainer, and that's what you're saying. Like you, mm-hmm. you train people, so if you don't train them in person, you're not a trainer. And I think when I decided not to do Ironman this year, or technically the year before, because I got injured, and I don't have any plans for it in 2018, that there's this whole thought in my head: Well, if I'm not doing Ironman, I'm not an Ironman. Which is, I've done four of them for Pete's sake. Like, what is five going to give me? Like mm-hmm. nothing. You know, it coming to terms with. And I think triathlon breeds that certain level of insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's better than any other sport because you do your first Ironman and it's never enough. Like it's, I'll say it's rarely enough for the person to do one and done and to be truly happy about it. It's it's rare. You You have people that do it and then they're like, Oh, well, I should probably do another one. It's bizarre. And so, you know, tying my identity up to doing Ironmans or tying it to doing Ironmans has been something I've had to let go because it's too time consuming. End of, it's not that I'm not fit enough to do it or to get to, to finish one again. I just, it's too time consuming. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I've looked at, I've looked at half Ironmans and even that, I feel like I don't have the time to train for that right now. Yeah. But you, b- being a trainer, you know where that limit is. And that's so very smart because I think a lot of people will just sign up for it, not recognizing the, the task, the time task at hand. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I know what that looks like. I know what that will take. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, like with being any kind of endurance athlete, it's a lot of time. And sometimes I think, well, why don't I just join CrossFit and go four times a week, four hours done, right? Like yeah. we were just doing the training for the ride to conquer cancer. And like every weekend we're out there for five hours, right? And it's boring. It's like, <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be on this bike for five hours. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's good to give ourselves permission to say, you know, to kind of check in with ourselves and our fitness and whatever we're doing and say, Hey, is this really suiting me anymore? Is this making me happy? (laughs) 
I shouldn't say that it's boring, okay, for any listeners out you there. You can totally I really, say it's boring. It is totally I, boring. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed doing that training and the ride. It was really great. But every single weekend, that's what I had to do. So there was no like, oh, I'm going to hang out with friends or, you know, take my son to his baseball game. I'm going to be on a bike for five hours yeah. every weekend. And I think a lot of the, the Ironman training I did, I had a couple really good friends that it was like either Charlie or Karen. And, we, you know, I'd ride with Charlie or I'd ride with Karen. And we rode for almost two seasons. And then they kind of fell off and I fell off. And it's like, well, you know, I, I don't have those friends anymore that I just would ride 100 miles with every weekend. And that's a big thing because it's no fun to do that by yourself. Like you can train for a sprint and and even a half Ironman by yourself, I think reasonably, but longer distance, man, you got to have a buddy, (laughs) maybe not a club, but some other crazy person beside you. (laughs) Yeah, I fully agree. I fully agree. And I, I, I don't even know how you do those distances, honestly. I don't, not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The answer is I don't. (laughs) Only apparently when I had an alcohol problem, did I do that? Like no correlation there. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Well, Louise, I had a great time chatting with you. I will post your social media links up so everyone can follow what you're doing, but I think you're doing amazing work and, um, I just appreciate you and, um, look forward to seeing what's next. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.